I saw water pouring out from the temple. I was led through water that was ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, then a river over my head, water to swim in. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish, great schools of fish, because the river is turning the salt sea into fresh water. The sea will teem with fish of all kinds. The trees on both banks will bear fresh fruit because the river from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Good morning, Kingsgate, and a warm welcome to all our other centres in Leicester, Cambridge, and London. It's such a delight to be here, and uh, and a delight today to share on this whole subject again of the river of God. And I want to bring a particular emphasis this morning on how the river of God brings healing. So if you've got your Bibles and you're looking there at Ezekiel 47, uh, maybe you can join us as we go through this, and obviously the scriptures will come up behind You know, we've been looking together at this theme of going deeper together, particularly with reference to our 2020 vision of turning the church inside out. And we've been using this powerful prophetic image of the river of God flowing out of the temple and ultimately out through the valley into the nations, which in Scripture always speaks, when we talk about the sea, it always speaks about the nations of the world. And in so many ways, I think it's a beautiful picture of our vision of what God is doing amongst us and through us, transforming lives from our neighbourhoods to the nations by the power of God's love. Amen? And so uh, praise God for that. So we're going to be uh, looking at this, uh, this aspect of healing particularly. I wonder if we could just uh, come down from uh, on this verse 9 where the scripture actually says that everywhere where the river goes, there will be life. It says that the rivers, when the river meets with the sea, it tells us that the waters of the sea are healed. It's a powerful illustration, a powerful statement of the power of the river of God. In many, many ways, that whole uh, picture of the river of God speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in John chapter 7, verse 37, 39, Jesus actually said that he who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so it speaks very much to us of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I just wonder as we just come into this message today, you know, my heart's desire, and I really believe the Lord has put this on all of our hearts, is that as we come before Him and come before His Word today, that the Spirit of God would minister healing to us, not only at the end when we come to a time of ministry through prayer, but also that the Spirit of God would minister to us as we're sitting in our seats listening to the Word of God. You know, Psalm 107 verse 20 says that he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. I can remember a number of years ago, uh, you know, where there was, a, there was a young teenage girl who was brought into one of our meetings. And it was very evident by her attitude that actually she really didn't want to be there. That her parents had brought her along and she kind of came along very reluctantly. 
But she was wearing very thick glasses. And we were doing a week of meetings. And actually, this girl, she had a major problem with her eyesight. In fact, the doctors had said to her that if her eyesight didn't get better, she may well be completely blind within about three months. She's wearing these thick pair of glasses, but she's totally ignoring me and totally ignoring the team. And as I'm preaching, she's looking down at the ground. So there's hardly any involvement. One couldn't say even she was looking in faith to be healed. But the reality is, is that while she's sitting there looking down at the ground, I just felt we came to the end of our, our first message. And I just said to everybody, look, this is the first in a series of meetings through this week. Some of you have traveled a long way. I don't want you to be in pain during this time. So we're just going to pray for the sick to be healed. And uh, so we just started to pray over the crowd for the sick to be healed. She's looking down at the ground, not looking in any faith to be, heal to be healed at all. And suddenly, while she's looking down at the ground, her glasses steam up. Well, she takes the glasses off to clean them and see what's going on. But when she looks up, she suddenly realizes that Jesus has completely restored her sight. Isn't that amazing? Just amazing. And that's our Jesus. And can I say today that Jesus Christ himself is here. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so our expectation should be high in the reality that Jesus is here today. And it's so important that we just declare right at the beginning of this meeting that actually there is only one healer here and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's worthy of all our praise. So I wonder if we could just for a moment just pray and acknowledge his presence here. I just want to honor him as our healer as we go into this word today. Father, we're just so honored to be in your presence this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. I thank you that you love each and every one of us, Lord. Thank you that there's no one here who's more qualified than another to receive your healing. But healing is grace. Healing is mercy. And we thank you, Lord, that your word tells us that your mercies are new every morning. And they're here today. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would stretch out your hand with power to touch each and every one of us who needs a miracle this morning. And Father, we do pray as we do so often, don't let one person leave this place without the joy of forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's just look together at this subject of the river of God and how the Lord moves in our lives with power to bring life and healing. Well, number one, I want to look at the fact that the river of God flows out of us. You know, Today, I want to just touch on these two areas. One, that the fact that actually God's river, the river, the power of the Holy Spirit, brings healing to us when we need it. But not only to us when we need it, but the power of the Holy Spirit will also flow out through us. For those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, we're going to quote it again, John 7, 37 to 39. Jesus lifted up his voice on that last great day of the feast. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being, literally translated out of the womb of his spirit, will flow rivers of living water. 
Now, John is very specific and he says, this he spoke of the Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's really speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And we see that actually this power of the Spirit will flow out of our innermost being. Now, the incredible encouragement of Scripture with this is that in Ezekiel 47, 8 to 9, it tells us that wherever that river goes, it brings life and it brings healing. So if there's a river flowing out of you and me, we can take encouragement today that part of the manifestation of that river is healing. Amen? So myself and the team have just come back from New York uh, in the States. And you know, it's just wonderful there that over four or five days, about 700 people gave their lives to Christ. And there were just hundreds of testimonies of healing that took place. Amongst which were three testimonies, confirmed testimonies of healing of cancer and one of HIV AIDS. Now it's the second time that we've had medically confirmed testimonies of healing of AIDS. You know, thank God for that. Isn't the Lord gracious and merciful? You know, sometimes people have HIV AIDS because of a bad needle or a blood transfusion. Sometimes people have got AIDS because of an immoral lifestyle in one way or another. But let, you know, let's just focus on this today, that whatever the reason, we serve a God of incredible mercy and grace who pours out His Spirit, the Bible says, on all flesh. You know, when you look at Ezekiel 47, wherever the river goes, it brings life. It said wherever it goes, it brings life. Whether the person is perfect, and that wouldn't include anybody, would it? <laughs> so the reality is that for all of us, we need that river of God, that touch of the Spirit of God. And He is here today to bring that life and to bring that healing. When we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul says that actually we are temples of Christ. We are the temple of God. And the river of God is therefore flowing out of us. Remember many years ago, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he actually said this. He said, I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. <laughs> That's a great statement. <laughs> Because in reality, wherever we go, Jesus goes. Christ is in us. We're in Him and He's in us. Paul the Apostle said, my life is hidden with Christ in God. It's one of the defining things of Christianity. The Scripture says Christ is in us, our certain hope of glory. No other religion would claim such a thing, that the God that they worship lived inside of them. But we can say that our God is not just in heaven and not just everywhere else around us. Our God is inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so wherever we go, Jesus goes. It's absolutely wonderful good news. He moves in us. He moves through us by the power of God. Number two, we want to look at the fact that the river of God brings healing. Well, in describing Jesus' ministry, the Apostle Peter said this in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. It's a wonderful thought to contemplate again that today is the church of Jesus Christ. He is the head and we are the body. And because he is the head and we are the body, that same anointing that was on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago is upon us as his church. 
And that means today that in the same way as Jesus went everywhere doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, we can go everywhere doing good and bringing healing to all by the same power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's so helpful to remember that healing is not our idea. Healing was God's idea. He is the healer. We're not the healer, but he's inside of us. We're in him and he's in us. And so we should have confidence. It's not as if we're trying to twist the arm of God into the idea of healing. We would have had no idea that Jesus heals people unless the word of God would have said so in the beginning. Amen? And so we can have confidence because it's clearly the will of God in Scripture. Matthew in his gospel records that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease amongst the people. You know, clearly, even a very casual reading of the gospels tells us that Jesus heals the sick. Amen? We can't ignore it. It's just there. Everywhere that he is, everywhere that he goes, there's healing. And he's here today. And so we can expect him to heal the sick amongst us today. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is here. I know this, that he walks amongst us. He walks, he looks for our faith. He looks for our expectation. He's looking for us to turn our hearts towards him with an expectation for him to heal the sick. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, in almost every record of Jesus sending out his disciples, and even to the point where it's the Great Commission, in every account of Jesus sending believers out, there is a commission to heal the sick. And so we see that this is just normal New Testament Christianity. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent out his disciples and said to them, and it's all in Greek, it's all in the command form. He says, preaching the kingdom of heaven is here and heal the sick. Interesting, he didn't say pray for them, isn't it? It's a total difference of expectation. You don't tell someone to do something that they can't do. That wouldn't be good management, would it? <laughs> heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers and raise the dead. Freely you have received, freely give. I love that expression, freely. Freely give. It's freely available. And so, but then when we get to Matthew 28, it would be very easy to think, well, that was a command to the apostles. That's not relevant to us. Only the apostles or the evangelists or those with particular giftings can do that. But when we get to Matthew 28, verse 18 to, and 19, Jesus is giving the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And the commands of Jesus are not just devotional and they're, they're not just moral, but the commands of Jesus are also missional. And part of those commands are heal the sick. And so we see that actually, can you imagine what it would have been like if right from the time of Jesus' ascension all the way up to the present, that all believers would have been proclaiming the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. I think Jesus would have come back by now, don't you? <laughs> Amazing. You know, years ago, and when we talk here about evangelism, uh, it's absolutely right what Dave says. I'm an evangelist. I, I travel the world. I've been doing that now for th nearly 32 years in about 51 countries. And you know, um, we've learned through these that this is a, an absolute reality that the greater majority of people who get healed by the power of God give their life to Jesus just like that. 
There was a guy uh, many years ago, I think he was German, he might have been Austrian, just to give the benefit of the doubt, I can't quite remember. Uh, but a guy called Engel, Professor Engel. And uh, certainly with a name like that, you've got to be Germanic. Um, but the, Professor Engel was very interested to know how, how many people, how many Christians uh, had had, you know, what, what was the amount of times that they had exposure to the gospel before they gave their lives to Christ? And you know, he surveyed many people and he discovered that on average, the average person who gave their lives to Christ had had between six to 11 exposures to the gospel. But he found another thing that was very interesting, that any time somebody gave uh, their life to the cross, when they had received a miracle, if they were healed or they had a prophetic encounter of some sort, they had a dream, a vision, somebody prayed for them, they felt the power and presence of God. Whenever there was a supernatural encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit, they would jump from the point of zero, no experience of God, to the place of salvation, bang, in a moment. And so it tells us that healing is not just an expression of God's compassion, which it is, but also that it's a wonderful tool of God in bringing those who don't know Jesus to a living faith in Him. And so it's, uh, it's, you know, it's just absolutely a normal expression of the gospel. In fact, in John 14, 12, Jesus said, he or she who believes in me how many of us believe in Jesus today? Hands up, here we are. So this is us, okay? He or she who believes in me, the same works that I do, he or she will do also. And even greater works than these shall they do because I go to the Father. Well, there's a lot of theological debate about what the greater works are, but I wouldn't worry about that too much. You know, quite frankly, you know, I, just actually healing the sick and setting people free and raising the dead. And can you imagine walking on water, feeding 5,000 with a bag of fish and chips? I mean, it would keep you busy for a long time. So, you know, but it's just fantastic. He or she who believes in me, we can expect it. We can expect it. A number of years ago, I was uh, invited by the Vineyard Churches of Ontario in Canada um, to go and to minister amongst their churches and help equip them, stir them up again in the roots that they were trained in. At that time, they were kind of feeling a prophetic emphasis about bringing boots to their roots, is the way they put it. And what they meant was, in many ways, that, you know, John Wimber and the Vineyard really had just exploded with, exploded with growth in its early days in power evangelism and miracles. And so I was out there doing this. And I can remember one particular church, they took me out to do some evangelistic ministry, they hired a local community center, and, um, and they put on what they called a healing extravaganza. Well, you know, over in England, we're a bit more reserved. We'd invite people to a healing meeting, but the Canadians, they all do everything big, you know, a healing extravaganza. So anyway, so they invited people to come for a free burger and a Coke. And, and then basically after that, they would come to the community center, and they said to me, you're to heal the sick in Jesus' name. Well, about 40 unsaved people turned up and they all came in and gathered into this community center and sat around. Typical vineyard style. They didn't do any worship. They didn't uh, let me preach. The pastor just said to me, John, you're not allowed to preach. There's no worship, no hype. This is all their terminology. He, he says, you just get up there and do the business. Just heal the sick. I said, right, okay. So um, <laughs> I thought, right, where do we start, Lord? You know? So Anyway, I, I stood there. Now, to be honest with you, where the community center was, it was right in the center of a really rough uh, council estate. Now, I didn't really believe that Canada had those kind of places. You know, I, I just thought of maple syrup and salmon and all of that kind of stuff. I didn't think these kind of places existed there, but they do. And so here I am, and, and there's a whole crowd of people, and a lot of them look a bit rough. And um, 
So I um, just get up there, put up there by the pastor. I just said to everyone, well, hi, everybody. Uh, as you can probably imagine, I'm not from around these parts. Um, I said, however, I, I'm not allowed to preach to you. I've been told that by the pastor. But look, can I just say to you, there is a God in heaven who loves you and gave his son Jesus for us. And he's here today to heal you. So I just turned and I said, Lord, um, where do we start? I distinctly heard in my heart the Lord say, start with joints. Now, to be honest, looking at the clientele, I wonder whether he meant this kind or whether he meant these kinds. But, you know, but to be honest, I, so I just, um, I looked around and I said, is there, is there anybody here who's got a problem with your joints? And, uh, you know, I was kind of hoping for a slight, you know, a, a back problem or something like that. Well, there's a huge guy there who looks very grey. His face is grimacing with pain. He's got crutches and he kind of helps himself up with the help of, well, you know, well, together his wife and his son helping him. He gets up there and he literally comes to me like this. His face is just, he's holding his teeth in pain. I am looking at him and faith is kind of draining. You know, if faith was a feeling, it's kind of going like this. I'm looking at him and he stands in front of me. And I said, right, sir. I said, um, so how can we help you? And at that moment, he looks at me and he says, well, he says, I'm a construction worker. I said, okay. And um, so he said, I said, what's your condition? He said, I fell from three stories. And I landed on a metal spike that went through my hips and it shattered my hips and, and I broke these bones here and I said, I've got, I had broken bones in my, in my spine. He said, I'm full of metal. I live with pain continually. He said, I, I, you know, he said, I'm on top dosage, you know, morphine, this kind of stuff. He said, but I still, I live with pain. I said, I see. <laughs> so um, I said, well, let's pray. So not feeling any ounce of anointing. Sometimes when you pray, you feel the power of God or heat in your hands or, you know, sometimes I didn't feel anything and it wasn't very encouraging. So I, I put my hands on him and I started to pray. And in fact, I wanted to feel something to encourage myself. So I started praying in tongues over him. When I prayed in tongues, he looked up and he said, what's that? I said, don't worry about it. And I just, <laughs> so I just carried on praying in tongues. Like this. And then I suddenly heard the Holy Spirit. Do you know, thank God, when we don't feel ready, He's always ready. He's always ready. And so suddenly I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, don't make a meal of it. I kind of thought, well, I'm a guy from Surrey. I just got to talk like that. You know, I just go, don't make a meal of it. But he said, don't make a meal of it. Tell him to bend down and touch his toes. Well, I'm not feeling anything. So I didn't really feel great encouragement. So I, 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 so I, I prayed in tongues again. I ignored it. And then he looks at me again and says, what are you saying? I said, don't worry about it. I said, don't worry. But carry on. And then after a bit, you know, it comes louder inside. And the Lord said, I told you to stop it. Bend, tell him to bend down and touch his toes. So I took my hand off him, still not feeling any presence or power. I said, right, that's it, sir. I said, can you bend down and touch your toes? I'll never forget it, I think, as long as I live. He looked up and he said, that's it? <laughs> I said, yes, yes, that's it. Um, and, 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 and he said, what's wrong with you? He said, don't you understand? I can't do that. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I said, yes, yes, I do understand that. So I said, but, uh, but we have prayed in Jesus' name. Can you now bend down and touch your toes? He said, is there something wrong with you? <laughs> I said, sir, for goodness sake, we just bend down and touch your toes, please. <laughs> so at that moment, you know, he just looks at me with a frown and then eventually he goes a bit like this. He only gets that far and he suddenly looks up at his wife over there and his nine-year-old boy and he says, hey, mummy. That's the way he talked to his wife. Just, hey, mummy, I haven't been able to do this for 20 years. I said, well, don't stop now. Carry on, you know. And he, <laughs> he goes out, he touches his toes. He comes up against us. 
I can't believe that. I said, what? Uh, he said, I've not been out. I said, come on, do it again. So he goes, he does it again. Like, then he says, I want to walk. I said, come on, give me a hand. So I just wanted to balance him a bit. He's a tough construction worker. He looked at me with a bit of an odd look. But I took him by the hand and we start walking. We're three steps in. And you know, very often in Scripture, it's the physical action releases the supernatural power. And so we're three steps in as an action of faith, really, in taking those steps. And suddenly you could feel tangibly the power of God flow over him and through him. And he suddenly looks at me. You can tell he felt it too. He says, let go of me like this. Short, whatever. And he suddenly just takes off running around the building. Well, when he did that, when he did that, you know, the, the first thing that happened was all the burgers went. <laughs> and it's a nine-year-old little boy ran and jumped into his dad's arms and said, Daddy, Daddy, now we can play soccer together. And it was so moving. At that moment, the, you know, his wife comes, the little boy comes, they're all sobbing in each other's arms. You know, it was no time for a kind of lengthy sermon. I, I just put my arms around and said, who wants the Jesus who's just healed this, this guy and his, his family, touching them all? You know, every hand went up and every single person was healed by the power of God that day. That's how Jesus... Amen. I want to say today also that when we get to verse 12 of Ezekiel 47, it says this, the leaves of the trees, the trees that were all along the bank of the river are for healing. The leaves of a tree, they really are a manifestation of its life. Life that comes from the tree itself. And healing in so many ways is a manifestation of the life of God that comes to us through another tree, the cross of Christ. In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, the scripture says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is he who hangs upon a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Isaiah prophesied with scintillatingly accurate prophetic insight in Isaiah 53, 600 years before Christ came into the earth. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Well, actually the Hebrew for that is the words makob and koli. And the words actually mean sicknesses and pains. Surely he has borne as a penalty for sin our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But hear these words. He was wounded for our transgressions. He never sinned. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities or acts of rebellion. The chastisement necessary to give us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. There really is healing, you know, for not only the physical body, but for spirit, soul and body. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he said this, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And so, you know, he talks about the fact that we are triune beings like God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are spirit, soul, and body. And the truth is that sometimes internal, emotional, or mental pain can be even worse than physical pain. 
I can remember a number of years ago doing some ministry in my years when I worked in an evangelist called Don Double, and uh, it was a great privilege working with them for seven years. And uh, uh, there was a time I was leading the youth work for them, and I can remember that one particular time at his national camp, um, I'd been asked to speak on the power of the blood of Jesus to the young people. And so while I was in prayer beforehand, the Holy Spirit gave me a vision. And I, I saw a picture of a young woman who had uh, self-harmed. And there's so much of that in our world today. And it's normally rooted in shame, either for one's own sins or things people have, you know, that, that we have done or things that others have done to us. And so there's all this shame that's involved there. And so I saw this vision of her literally cutting her wrists, but it was more than just self-harm. It was actually involved with some kind of a satanic, occultic ritual. And the Lord said to me that this young girl will be in your meeting today. I want her to know that my blood is more powerful than any blood that she shed. And, and I will set her free. Anyway, when I preached that day I, um, to the young people, I, I explained at the end of my message about this vision. Anyway, the young woman came forward. She was wearing, uh, you know, her hair was all up, up here and it was shaved down the sides, multiple earrings and dark black, you know, makeup over here. None of that particularly bothered me. You know, she's wearing all black and everything. What really bothered me is, is actually all the darkness I could see under the skin. It was like a real oppression in her life. Anyway, the team began to pray for her. And like in the Bible, she started to manifest. She started to scream a bit and shake a bit. But she wasn't getting free. And so I thought, you know, there's a real inner problem here that's giving this thing legal ground. So I'm going to get involved. So I just stepped over, asked the team to, to go away for a moment. And I stepped up to her. I waited for her to calm down for a bit. And then I just came up and I just tapped her on the shoulder when she had settled down a bit. And I said, and I put my arm out. I said, hi there, how are you doing? And she looked at me, she's almost growling, to be honest, but she, I put my hand and I said, how are you? And she kind of snarls a bit and uh, she says, fine. <laughs> I said, um, uh, I can see that you've, you know, you're really struggling here. Um, she says, I'm a witch. Don't you understand? I'm a witch. She said, not only have I been into witchcraft and I've actually come from the witches coming in. She says, I'm a heron addict. I've got heron here with me on site. I said, please don't talk too loudly. We'll have the police down on us, you know, but... Um, Anyway, after a little bit, I said, well, I really want to know what your real problem is because actually it's not your real problem. She said, what is it you don't understand? Don't you understand I'm a heroin addict and I'm a witch? I said, listen, that's not your real problem. The real issue is what got you into all of that in the first place. I said, can you tell me? What, where did all of this start? At that moment, she turned her face away and then she again almost like growled back at me, but there was so much pain in the tone of her voice. She said, I'll never forgive him. I said, who? She said, my father. She said, as long as I can remember, he abused me physically, sexually, mentally, in every way. She said, finally, when I was 16, she said, I, I got up and I ran away from home. I got, you would say, I got involved with the wrong crowd. And she said, one day in a, in a you know, she said, a, a nightclub or something, she said, I took drugs and was high on alcohol and they took me and they initiated me into the witchcraft group. She said, today, life is hell. I hear voices in my head. I'm constantly driven, suicidal. I said, you know, forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a decision. And ultimately, it's horrendous that you have gone through all of this. I said, God is angry with what's happened to you. But let me just say to you that when Christ died on the cross, he died not only for our sins, but even for the sins committed against us. Can I ask you today, I said, your father was obviously a very troubled man. But can I say today, it's awful to be abused. 
it's even worse to stay as a victimized, abused person for the rest of your life. I said, Jesus can set you free. I said, you know, this is the big issue. Can you really accept the blood of Jesus as the price paid for your dad's sins against you? Well, there and then, she wouldn't let me pray much more for her or discuss it much more, but she let me pray for her that she would have grace to forgive. That was the beginning of the week. We had a whole week of meetings and I was leading the worship at the camp. And I can remember that at the, you know, she went away and I didn't see her for the rest of the week. But on the last day of the week, I got down from, I got down from the stage just after leading worship and I come down there. We're just sorting out the wires and whatever else. And suddenly I see this young girl approach me wearing colors and, and her face all lit up and radiant and, and, and so different I couldn't even recognize her. And she came up to me and she said, she said, Jonathan, I've come to say thank you. I said, uh, oh, what, you, you enjoyed the worship? She said, well, yes, yeah. but it's not really about that. And then she suddenly paused, recognizing that I, I couldn't really discern who she was. She says, don't you recognize me? I said, forgive me, you do look familiar, but I can't quite place you. She said, I am, and then paused and said, I was the witch. You remember at the beginning of the week, I stepped back, I said, you, wow. I said, what a transformation. You've got to tell me the story. She said, well, after you prayed with me, I went, some of the girls befriended me and took me to their caravan and they prayed with me. And she said, it took me about 40 minutes to pray and ask Jesus into my life. Every time I said his name, there was all of this demonic kind of reaction. She said, but I gave my life to Jesus. And then she said, the most remarkable thing happened. She said, when I forgave my dad, all the voices in my head stopped and all the drive for heroin left me and I've had no no side effects. She said, this is absolutely wonderful. Three months later, she wrote to me and said, John, I had come into that camp saying, if God doesn't do something about my life today, I'm taking my life. She said, but that day I met with Jesus Christ that day and through the week. I want you to know, writing to you three months later, life has never been so worth living. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. You know, the greatest miracle of all, well, we talk about miracles here, but the greatest miracle of all is not physical. It's not even emotional. It's spiritual. The scripture says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. That's a wonderful promise for each and every one of us. Because when Christ died on the cross, He dealt with our deepest problem. He took our sins. He paid the, the price for them, even though He had never sinned. He died in our place that we might receive His forgiveness and what the Bible calls the gift of righteousness, to become a new creation, to have a new life, a new start with God. I want to close by reading one short testimony that is the testimony of a man that you may be very familiar with if you've seen our adverts for the Alpha Course. His name is Shane Taylor. I'm going to wrap up just hearing his testimony today. Shane Taylor was considered one of the most dangerous men in the UK prison system. Originally jailed for attempted murder, he had his sentence extended by four years when he attacked a prison officer with a broken glass, setting off a riot. He was put in a segregation unit inside a maximum security prison. He was given his food through a hatch. His door was not opened unless there were six officers armed with riot shields waiting outside. Later, he was transferred to Long Latin Maximum Security Prison, where he was invited on the Alpha Course. During the course, he prayed. 
Jesus Christ, I know you died on a cross for me. I hate who I am and who I have become. Please forgive me and come into my life. At that moment, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went running out on the wing, telling everyone he could find, Jesus is real. Jesus is real. His behavior changed so much that he went from living in total segregation to getting a trusted job in the prison chaplaincy. (laughs) He prayed for the prison officers and for his enemies. And when he came out of prison, he got involved in the church. He met a young woman called Sam, who also had a tough life and been involved with drugs and criminal activity. She also came to faith in Jesus. Now they are married and have five children. And talking to Shane now, it's hard to imagine that he's the same person who terrified so many people in the past. He has experienced the wonder of God's great love. He says, Jesus has shown me how to love and how to forgive He has saved me, forgiven me for what I have done. He has turned my life around.